get up and do my thing. I want to get into it, man, you know. Like, I, you know I'm the man, don't you? Can I count it off? One, two, three, four. Listening to the Church Politics Podcast with Michael Ware and Justin Gibbons, where you can get in-depth political analysis from a Christian worldview. Transcend partisanship and political ideology with us as we seek true discipleship in the public square. I'm schooled in the ways of runaway slaves. I'm brave, I'm unchained, I'm Frederick Douglass with a fade. I greatness and left no ransom. This is the Church Politics Podcast with Michael Ware and Justin Gibney. Justin, we have a great episode for folks this week. I'm excited about it. Uh, what about you? Oh, yeah, brother, where I'm really excited about it. I'm looking forward to learning more about the reclaiming Jesus statement and how Christians can be distinctive and have a positive impact uh, in the political arena. That's right. We're going to be joined by the Reverend Jim Wallace. Uh, Jim is New York Times bestselling author, public theologian, speaker, international commentator on ethics and public life. Uh, I've known Jim for over a decade now. He served on President Obama's White House Advisory Council on Faith-Based and Neighborhood Partnerships, author of 12 books, including his recent America's Original Sin uh, but many of y'all will know Jim as the president and founder of Sojourners, uh, uh, which is a, a DC based Christian advocacy group. Uh, and Sojourners played a key role in organizing this reclaiming Jesus statement that we'll talk about in the, in the interview. But, uh, Jim's team reached out and we thought it would be a, a wonderful thing to bring, uh, to, to you, uh, to you, our audience, uh, given the array of folks that are involved in this. And, uh, we, we bring this to you for your, uh, consideration, not necessarily with, with any endorsement, but, but Justin, I think you agree that the, the statement covers some, some important topics. It does. Everybody should check it out. Uh, I think it's headed in the right direction and I'm looking forward to see what becomes of it all. Great. Well, let's, uh, we have significant time with Jim in the interview. Looking forward to sharing this with you. Uh, we'll we'll bring you Jim Wallace after the break. I love my family. I'm best friends with my dad. And then this 2016 election cycle came up, and it really drove a wedge in between some of us. Donald Trump's the first person that got us. He's the first person that I actually at least pretend to give a damn about it. Check out Depolarize, the podcast that fights against tribalism and incivility by searching for common ground at the intersection of politics, psychology, and faith. This season, we look closely at the phenomenon of white evangelical support for Donald Trump and the many difficult, related questions that are begging to be answered. Two grown men picked him up, a 15-year-old kid, and threw him as hard as they could off the hood of the car. Uh, and it's shocking. It's shocking. His whole, all his teeth came out. Uh, he's bleeding all over the place. And they look, they look to us, right? They say, you fucking niggas, this is what happens to you. God isn't far away. God is with us now, here, now. Every moment matters. I don't know why I'm crying. It just, it just hurts. Find Depolarize on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Church Politics Podcast, and we are happy and thrilled and honored to have uh, Jim Wallace, the founder of Sojourners, with us uh, on on the line for a, a conversation. Jim, uh, how are you? Thanks for being with us. It's good to be with you. Always good to 
uh, hear your voice, Michael. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely, Jim. Well, we were uh, really, Justin and I were really excited to have you on. Uh, you were, uh, you and Sojourners were part of organizing uh, this Reclaiming Jesus statement, which is something that for our listeners, we'll, we'll link to it uh, in the description for this week's episode. We urge you uh, to, to check it out. But, uh, but, but this is a, a pretty extensive statement and includes, uh, uh, includes leaders like Reverend Otis Moss Jr., Dr. John Perkins, Dr. Ron Sider, Reverend Sharon Watkins, uh, Dr. Cynthia Hale. I, I mean, it's just a, a, a pretty impressive list. Our, our friend, Dr. Joel Hunter, uh, Dr. Amos Brown, who folks don't know about Amos Brown. You need to check him out. He was one of uh, MLK's eight students at Morehouse. Uh, and so just a really, uh, really, uh, and I should say he's also uh, was also a, a pastor in in, um, in San Francisco and chair of the Social Justice Commission for National Baptist Convention USA. Uh, so really impressive group. But Jim, well, can you tell us sort of uh, just we'll, we'll dig a little deeper, but sort of what was the impetus for this statement and and what do you think is the primary message it sent? Well, that list of people. Uh... They're really all elders. Uh, we're, we're all old enough to be elders now. And it didn't come out of just a statement. It was a retreat we had together on Ash Wednesday, the night before and all day on Ash Wednesday. And it was those who have been leaders in the churches and faith-based organizations. Uh, what do we need to say and do and commend to the churches as elders in a time such as this? And we think what's at stake literally is the soul of the nation and the integrity of faith. And so when that happens, Christians always go back to Jesus. When the early Christian says, Jesus is Lord, they meant Caesar was not, <laughs> or any other political ruler. And what does it mean to say that now Bonhoeffer, who was an inspiration to many of us and is again now, said the question is always, who is Jesus Christ for us today? What does it mean today to say Jesus is Lord? Uh, and so the whole group was clear. We wanted to name this Reclaiming Jesus from really our cultural captivities. So Ash Wednesday was repenting and lamenting and confessing our own complicity in some of what's happened to this country. And then all through Lent, we prayed and decided what we should say. And out of that came this, this declaration, a confession of faith in a time of crisis. So we wanted this to be more theological than political, given how hmm. partisan the divide is and so on. So uh, when you, yeah, when, yeah. I hope your listeners can take a look, but when you see it, it's we believe, therefore we reject, for example. Number one is we believe each human being is made in God's image and likeness. Racial bigotry is a brutal denial of the image of God in some of the children of God. Therefore, we reject resurgence of white nationalism and racism in our nation, including the highest levels of political leadership. We go through one after the other. We believe 
truth is morally central to our personal and public lives, Jesus promises, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Therefore, we reject the practice and pattern of lying that is invading our political and civil life. So we're asking churches not to sign this. The elders signed this. We're looking for people to use this as a discipleship tool in their churches for study and prayer, reflection and action. And then on Pentecost, we will launch this statement when Christians on the first Pentecost took their faith to the streets. Wow, that's good. Um, well, thank you for that work. I think, you know, this, it's just a very important effort in just kind of showing society that Trump evangelicalism is a misrepresentation of the gospel, uh, among other things. Uh, in the statement, uh, you say that the America first posture uh, espoused by the Trump administration is a theological heresy. Uh, and I tend to agree with that. How do we balance? Here's a question. How do we balance the idea of being part of a global community uh, with the practical side of governing, uh, making sure we're good stewards of American resources and protecting Americans from real threats? Uh, it could be said, and it's said by some, that if we don't look out for our own interests to some extent, uh, then we won't have anything to be generous with. Uh, Jim, how do we uh, best strike that balance uh, from a, a policy perspective? Well, um, uh, the key thing here is our identity. <laughs> so when we say uh, Jesus is Lord, uh, it means that our identity, first of all, must be as followers of Jesus. And the body of Christ is the most diverse human community on the planet. <laughs> so that's our first loyalty. We are an international people, of course. Uh, loving your country is a good thing. And understanding uh, how you um, look after each other is a good thing. But now everything is international. We, we impact each other every day all over the world. And so the body of Christ uh, has, and this year, this week, at, last week at uh, Sojourners, we had a board meeting, and you've got international leaders from the body of Christ in the room. And their perspective is so different often than a just narrow nationalistic one. So xenophobia, uh, debasing other nations, calling other nations language that is so uh, racial and destructive and not taking what is good for the world uh, to heart is a problem. And we said this is a heresy. America first is not consistent with the gospel of Christ, which is meant to be from the beginning, something that would change the world with all of God's people around the world. So, uh, you know, we love, we love our country, but our country isn't first. Uh, Jesus is first. So, uh, this goes to all of our false identities. Uh, we have many false racial, cultural, nationalistic identities which have to not be first. Jesus has to be put back first in our lives. Yeah. Jim, I'm, um, I'm struck by the fact, I, I mean, we, <laughs> uh, we're both familiar with, uh, with statements and, and how these things come together. I'm struck with the fact that this, this came out of prayer. This came out of 
uh, a meeting of fellowship and this was sort of an outflow of that. Uh, I, I, I'm just reading through this statement and just so many of the public challenges we're facing right now have great spiritual components. They really are uh, uh, questions of identity and idolatry. Uh, so I guess my question for you is, how do you think about the the spiritual nature of our political crisis? Um, and what uh, do you think that our society has the resources to uh, to combat these sorts of these sorts of trends, whether it's racism or misogyny or or uh, xenophobia, or, or or do you think that we um uh, we've somehow lost the capacity to build up civic character in the way that it needs to? That's a question I wish I knew the answer to because that's the big question. When I say the soul of the nation is at stake, I mean who are we as a nation? What kind of country? Are we becoming? Um, and you know this the 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 changes in this nation that by you know in twenty years will no longer be any longer a white majority nation, but will be a majority of minorities. And m much of white America isn't ready for that yet. And that's behind a lot of this this um, uh, using fear and and resentment and anger and blaming the other. How we treat the other is so critical in the scriptures, Old Testament and New. It's a test of our relationship to God. So we say in this piece, for example, um, we believe how we treat the hungry, the thirsty, the naked, the stranger, meaning immigrant, refugee, all of that, the sick and the prisoner is how we treat Christ himself. That text in Matthew 25 is what brought me to faith in Jesus Christ. That was my conversion text. And yet, uh, uh, our, our, our evangelical Christians today known for the evangel. Uh, the evangel was Jesus' opening statement at Nazareth. I've been anointed to preach good news, and the word there is evangel, to the poor. So are we known for preaching good news to those who are the others, the outsiders, the marginalized? That's essential to what it means to follow Jesus. So I think we've got to get back to our faith. And politically, you know, I think we're we're in a very dangerous time. Uh, but the Chinese symbols for crisis are the ones both for danger and opportunity, both. And the opportunity here is to go deeper. We go deeper into our faith. If we go deeper into our relationships with each other, particularly across racial and national lines and gender lines, and if we go deeper into our relationship to those who are most vulnerable, the Matthew 25 people, those who are being targeted, that will change us and transform us. And I think that could build a much deeper movement for the kind of gospel, the gospel politics, I believe, and not the politics of the left or the right, Republican, Democrat. But what do gospel politics mean at a time like this? So whether whether our institutions, Michael, have the resiliency to resist this growing authoritarian, autocratic leadership that's emerging is an open question. Does the press have the resiliency? Does the judiciary? Do the political parties? And for me and for your conversation here, do the churches have the resiliency 
to to resist these these movements because these are issues around the world. Madeleine Albright has just written a book, and Madeleine Albright is not a uh, you know someone who speaks uh, cavalierly, and she talks about fascism a warning this isn't just in this country all over eastern europe all over the world there's a growing movement authoritarian autocratic movement of strong men growing and how the churches the faith community stands up to be who we are and puts aside our nationalistic captivities our racial captivities our cultural captivity romans 12 says uh don't be conformed to the world be transformed by the renewal of your minds, which is your acceptable worship. These are worship issues, not just political ones for us. Yeah, that's helpful. Um, unfortunately, not all Christians on the uh, left side of the political spectrum are responding uh, like yourself. Uh, in some instances, I think we see uh, that we at times have allowed uh, Trump to lower the discourse um, and that instead of responding as Jesus might respond, that we've uh, actually um, started responding to Trump in kind. What warning do you have uh, for those who, who are kind of trying to match him, you know, match his pettiness with their own and, and kind of returning uh, insult for insult? Any, any thoughts on that? Well, Abraham Lincoln in his first inaugural said that uh, leaders should speak to our better angels. I love that that uh, language. Donald Trump speaks to our worst demons and shows how they're right below the surface. He's invoking our worst demons as a people. So, but Donald Trump isn't the cause. He's the consequence. The consequence of how we have been diminishing in our values and civic and public virtues for a long time. Uh, when uh, I got called during the election, by a very conservative evangelical leader who said, I just can't, I can't in Christian conscience, uh, put somebody, help put somebody in the Oval Office who is amoral, not just immoral, amoral in their personal and public life. Um, and, uh, who, who is so immature, uh, and is a racial bigot. I can't do it as a Christian. Now he's politically very conservative. But he couldn't do that. And so I hear pastors all over the country who want to speak out, not on political issues, but on issues of the truth and the treatment of women and, and racial bigotry. When white evangelicals tell black evangelicals, I didn't vote for Donald Trump because of his racial bigotry, but because of other issues, black evangelicals say back, so racial bigotry isn't a deal breaker for you, I guess. Racial bigotry is a deal breaker for the gospel, uh, a pattern of lying that is that is consistent uh, is is a deal breaker for the gospel. Uh, treatment of women, uh, the abuse, the, uh, the harassment, the, the assault, these things being acceptable and covered up. The, these are deal breakers. So Christians have to ask, what, what are deal breakers for me here? This isn't about the size of government, legitimate differences among Christians about the size of government or the role of civic organizations or the role of faith in society. Um, I, I think I have fought uh, religious fundamentalism my whole life, but I now have to fight secular fundamentalism on the left. 
against religion per se, uh, which is as irrational as the fundamentalism on the, on the right. So I think we have been bashed and battered by politics on all sides. And I am not wanting to be religious left in opposition to our religious right. We've got to get back to what the gospel says and the way of Jesus. And partly is how we respond to our enemies. Uh, we we got to love our neighbors as ourselves, no exceptions. And how we respond to our enemies is part of the way of Jesus, too. That's exactly right. Uh, Jim, as you uh, watch uh, your base in D.C., as you watch sort of this political season unfold, uh, and as Sojourners advocates on so many issues, both, you know, uh, offensively trying to trying to make some progress but then also uh you know trying to trying to protect the vulnerable uh, tell me what are you most uh what opportunity uh, uh in the political landscape do you see right now and, and and what what really concerns you i know that you wrote a a really impressive article on the situation in north korea uh, so so maybe that's on your list but share with our listeners what they ought to be paying attention to as far as uh, uh, one major opportunity and one one major chance. Well, I I think um, uh, you might have seen the New York Times article recently about how black Christians there's an exodus of black Christians from white churches, even multicultural churches. Right. We haven't seen this kind of racial divide in the body of Christ since my days in the civil rights movement a long time ago. I'm deeply concerned because this. Our our acceptance of of this resurgence of of the use of racial fear and resentment and hatred uh, and in policy at the highest levels of our country this is this is uh, this is throwing away Imago Dei throwing away the image of God that's what's at stake here this isn't just politics this is whether we uh, are 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 going to believe Genesis one that we're all made in the image of God. And so these policies that we're seeing now, these racialized policies, uh, what black parents are afraid of every morning when their kids walk out the door, these are these are gospel issues. And for, for me, they're Corinthians issues. Corinthians says when one part of the body suffers, we all should suffer. The body of Christ, the black, Hispanic, the body of Christ, of Christians of color, is suffering a pain and a fear and an exclusion. And often white Christians don't even acknowledge the pain. This is a Corinthians problem. We're not being the body of Christ in this country or listening to each other's stories. So I think we could take this moment of danger as one of real opportunity and come together and listen to each other and respond as Christians. Because I don't think the politicized, uh, uh, war uh, between left and right is going to solve this. And I think the more we go down that direction, the more we really contribute to an environment um, where, uh, well, you you mentioned Joel Hunter, dear friend of us both. When Joel would tell me, I've got my people um, two hours a week and that's all. And he would say, Fox News has them 24-7. And, and when people are hearing uh, this, the lack of facts, the polarized nature 
And is NBC, MSNBC partisan too? Sure. But MSNBC is not reaching white evangelicals. So, so how do you have a truth telling time? How do we, how do we really get back to what Jesus says? You'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. Uh, if we don't know the truth, we're being enslaved. And I want to say, I'm a white Christian. I want to say when in the phrase white Christian, when the operative word is white more than Christian, we have a serious theological problem. Yeah. So to me, the issues are theological more than just political. Legitimate political differences and philosophies, those are all good, and, and we're good to have debate on all those things. We're dealing with deeper issues now about what leadership is and what it's not. Servant leadership versus autocratic leadership, truth-telling versus versus undermining what the truth even is. Uh, a, a racialized criminal justice system, which is true by all the data and the experience of every black parent in America. It's time we told the truth, and the truth will, in fact, set us free. That's good. Yeah, we, it's got to start with truth and uh, having the ears to being able to hear it and, and kind of not the hardened hearts. Um, I, I'm just glad to hear that, uh, you know, folks are trying to get rid of this uh, them versus us kind of uh, motif that we see a lot going on or that narrative that we see going on in the sociopolitical arena. And so thank you again for doing that. Um, and as we reach across, I think we, we also realize that usually sometimes we're most most impactful um, when correcting our own side of the political spectrum and kind of leading by example, since both sides seem to have very little credibility with the other. I've seen that you've spoken out against uh, the Democratic Party's leftward shift on things like abortion and the control that abortion uh, political action uh, committees have over the party. Uh, Michael and I attended the DNC, uh, the Democratic National Convention, uh, where they seem to have gone from safe, legal and rare to a celebration of abortion as a social good. Uh, there's also kind of a new phenomenon that not enough people are talking about called uh, that we're calling religious exclusion, wherein urban pro-life candidates are being discouraged from running for office. And if they do run for office, they're being intimidated and smeared to kind of get them out of that space uh, in, in the in the a vein of kind of policing our own side as well. How can Christians on the democratic side of things uh, be a check to far left culture uh, within the democratic party? Well, you know, um, the Democrats and Michael knows as well have sometimes uh, flirted with religion because uh, they know they have a problem there. And Howard Dean once asked me to speak to all the DNC uh, leaders in every state in the country at their conference so I got to speak to all the heads of DNC in all the states. And I didn't just talk about poverty. Uh, I talked about abortion. And uh, afterwards, a number of DNC state chairs came up with tears in their eyes saying, thank you for talking about abortion as a life issue. Um, I'm a Catholic or I'm a Christian of, of some kind. And we can't talk about this here. Um, I, I'll just say now, uh, I didn't have much, uh, no contact really with Hillary Clinton during the campaign deliberately because it was a campaign. But once I was asked advice and I said, uh, this or before a debate, I said, you should say that poverty, immigration, and racism are, are matters of faith. And as a woman of faith, I want to address them 
as matters for faith. And then you should say, I said before that abortion should be safe, legal, and rare. Let's together make it rare. That wasn't said, could have been said. And I find that the people who control these issues in the Democratic Party, I'm just being honest here, are against even talk about reducing abortion in America as a moral priority. And both sides should be able to say that. And you support women, uh, low-income women especially, women and girls, nutrition, health care. That reduces abortion. We should all be committed to reducing abortion. The Democratic Party won't say that. And they should say that. And they're part of the problem. Because there are people who, sadly, the data shows that most white evangelicals who uh, voted uh, for Donald Trump were voting on uh, hostility to immigrants and love for guns and the rest. It wasn't finally a core of abortion. But though there are some, Michael and I have talked about this a lot, there are core core issues for a number of Christians. And the Democrats have gone far left on the abortion question. And that is part of why, I'll just say this and get in trouble for it, part of why Donald Trump why Donald Trump's in the White House, because how far Democrats have gone to the left on issues like abortion. Hold on, just say that. Right. Right. Uh, The election was so close uh, that you can uh, can blame a a number of factors, but I I think, uh, uh, but I think where, uh, well, I'll speak for myself, I think where I am is, uh, we knew who Donald Trump was before he took the White House, and the fact that we weren't uh, that the that the Democratic Party wasn't willing to do uh, everything that it it could uh, reach out to everyone it could in order to keep him from the White House uh, s- suggests a certain uh, a certain kind of ideological uh, calcification that's taken place. And so, yeah, we could talk about Comey, we could talk about this, we could talk about that. Um, but, uh, Jim, it wasn't, wasn't too long ago that we had a president who, uh, certainly had his flaws or certainly didn't please religious folks on everybody, but who went to Notre Dame and called for reducing abortions. And the fact that something that the last victorious Democratic, uh, candidate for president did was, was considered off limits for, uh, for 2016, you know, suggests, uh, uh you suggest that might be a, a reason for, why we sit where we do today. Um, Jim, I, I do want to, uh, you've been in this, uh, you, you've been in this space for so long. You've been talking about justice before it was cool, before it was emblazoned on church t-shirts and kind of all that. Uh, I really think of, of you and uh, Ron Sider as, um, and Gary Haugen as people who, uh, really, uh, brought justice conversation to white evangelicals to a large extent. Uh, as you see this generation coming up, and we have a lot of uh, young millennial and even younger listeners, as you see this generation coming up, uh, many of whom are newly engaged in politics and thinking about politics Christianly, uh, what what advice would you have for them? And, and and you know even even more what what caution would you have for them? You've been through this the the cycles. You've been through uh, seeing a lot of people get burned out. Seeing a lot of people 
uh, have a lot of zeal, but then become cynical, uh, cynical really quickly. What, what advice would you have to young Christians who are just maybe in the last couple of years getting engaged in in politics, uh, so that they keep their their feet grounded, uh, uh, grounded uh, uh, in the gospel? Well, I teach a course at Georgetown called Faith, uh, Race, and Politics. Uh, it's all millennials, and uh, all the way from uh, from uh, an amazing high school senior who got in there somehow to PhD students. And uh, they're the best part of my week. Uh, they're all over the place. They're religious, non-religious. Uh, some are agnostic, even a- atheist. But at, when we have, at times in, in the class, they, they don't want to leave. They want to keep talking about all of this. And so I am very hopeful about a new generation. Uh, even those who, who check the box that says none of the above, uh, what they what religion they affiliate with they say none of the above the nuns i've always I, well i like the old nuns too and i would speak of christian college campuses evangelical but there'll be two rows of nuns in the front row and i say sisters why are you here and they say well jim we're local i said well i figure that but why are you here they say well jim this is a very conservative place we thought somebody should have your back so i've had nuns bodyguards for years, but the N O N E S. I love those young people because they want their lives to make a difference. And why would they affiliate with a religion that isn't making a difference? They want their faith to make a difference. When they see how faith can make a difference in the world, and it is supposed to, the incarnation is God hitting the streets in Jesus Christ. That it's supposed to change the world. It was from the beginning the purpose. And I think a new generation that's crossing racial lines. Uh, that is dealing with uh, gender justice, that is talking about an international sense of who we are and not just an American sense of who we are. I think that's the future. We're up against those some very short-term and long-term dangers here. And I think going back to what we say we believe is really important because it can't be just all those political factors you mentioned, Michael, uh, Comey letters and... and uh, ideological combat we've got to get to what we say we believe and i think that can cross even political lines poverty and racism are theological issues that are deeply integral to each other and republicans and democrats should be able to see that and come together around what we say our theology is and not be just divided by ideological and racial politics. So I think it really is a test of the nation's soul and the integrity of faith. And I think we're seeing around the world dangerous movements uh, that have been called fascist movements, and they are. I think the body of Christ is the best response to fascism around the world. The body of Christ is the best alternative and antidote to fascism around the world. That means knowing who we are as the body of Christ. And that's, I think, the future I believe in and makes me hopeful. Yeah, I I tell this story. uh, uh, Chancellor Merkel um, was asked, uh, was doing a town hall, uh, and someone asked her basically whether Germany should be concerned about influx of of Muslims during the, the migration crisis. And uh, Chancellor Merkel responded, uh, she she said, uh, the problem in Germany is not that we have too many Muslims, but that our Christians are not Christian enough. 
which is just a a striking statement. So you know, goes to the idea of knowing uh, who we are, being confident um, in in our faith and what it has to bring uh, to to our world and the circumstances around us. Uh, uh, Justin, do you do you have a do you have a final question uh, to to wrap this conversation up? Sure. Uh, at the end campaign, we often say that uh, Christian political engagement is less about winning and more about the witness uh, that we're putting out there. Uh, it seems sometimes that uh, on the left and the right, we're, we're more concerned about an exchange of power than, ra- than rather than getting things right. In, in your statement, uh, you say a lot. You said something that one of my favorite parts is when you talk about servanthood over domination. Uh, and in ending this interview, can you just give us, can you um, expand on that a little bit, what, you're, what you mean when you talk about servanthood over uh, domination? I'm glad you came back to this statement because that's what we're trying to do, what Michael just said, return to our faith. This is not uh, a political statement. Now, uh, the gospel always has political implications that are perceived that way in terms of if you support refugees and immigrants and all the rest, uh, that has consequences in public life. We're laying out the principles here, and the one you mentioned, it says, we believe the Christ's way of leadership is servanthood, not domination. We support democracy, not because we believe in human perfection, but because we do not. (laughs) Therefore, we reject any moves toward autocratic political leadership and authoritarian rule, we believe that authoritarian political leadership is a theological danger, threatening democracy and the common good, and we will resist it. So Christ's idea of servanthood is where, at its best, reveals in public service. Those who enter public life for public service, not for personal gain, not for uh, for, for for their own wealth and power, and it's the corruption of public service that leads to public tyranny. And so I think reestablishing uh, this notion of public service is foundational right now. And so time and time again, what Jesus tells us about what our priorities should be, uh, if Christians are more Christian like Angela Merkel wants us to, to be, that will, that, will, that will strongly impact for the better our public life and the common good. So being who we say we're supposed to be, these these elders who signed the statement, I remember during the retreat, and it was a time of prayer and lament and confession and reflection. And the, the whole group says, let's not even call ourselves, we're Christians, of course, let's call ourselves followers of Jesus. It's time to go back to ask, what does it mean to follow Jesus in a time such as this? So we're literally trying to reclaim Jesus, a confession of faith in a time of crisis. And that is the best way to respond to the kind of power, the kind of power that is so dangerous to us now. What it means to serve, what it means to not be those who want to be on the right side and left side. Jesus said clear, clearly, whoever wants to, to be in the place I want you to be uh, will, will be known by being the servant of all. That's the test of our political leadership. Are we known to be the servant of all? Not the master, not the one who wins, but the one who serves. Do you wear funny socks? Most men do. 
Whether it's at the office or at the bar, your socks are guaranteed to be a conversation starter. Society Socks is a men's sock subscription company that sends two pairs of exclusively designed socks to your door every month. These socks are made of warm, soft, and comfortable blend of combed cotton guaranteed to make you look well-dressed. But why are they called Society Socks? Socks are one of the most needed and least donated clothing items at homeless shelters. Though Society Socks aims to change that. With every pair of socks purchased, another pair of socks is donated to a homeless shelter. Not only will your socks feel and look great, but you will be confident that you are making a positive change. With two surprise pair of socks arriving to your door every month in your subscription, you'll begin to grow your sock collection. Try out our first month of a sock subscription at 50% off when you use the code off the record. Put an end to the boring socks and subscribe today. Well, Justin, that was quite a conversation with Reverend Jim Wallace. Uh, uh, we're really grateful that he joined us uh, and uh, uh, just grateful for, for what he had to share. Just, Justin, what did you what did you think? You have any concluding uh, concluding thoughts? Yeah, just we need more people who are in the public square, Christians who are in the public square thinking that way. Uh, transcending all the ide- ideology and uh, partisanship and really getting to the heart of what we're supposed to doing, be doing, which is uh, being like Jesus. And we certainly need to reclaim that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, folks, in the description notes, uh, we'll have a link to the Reclaiming Jesus statement. Also, Jim was mentioning to us that there are going to be uh, uh, events. They're going to publicly launch this statement uh uh with with events in in dc uh and we'll have some of those details listed as well for those of you who want to want to participate but i uh, would urge you to at least you know check out the statement contend with it we want to hear what you think about it uh so always feel free to reach out to us on social media and, and uh, you know i think this is going to be uh an interesting conversation for our community to have absolutely see you guys next week I'm grooving for the activists and graduates. I'm an advocate for those feeling abandonment. In the favelas and slums of ghetto inhabitants, it's like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? The only thing good came out of Nazareth. This is the groove, tell me, can yeah. you handle it? I'm schooled in the ways of runaway slaves. I'm brave, I'm unchained, I'm Frederick Douglass with a fade.